I just tell people, I mean, even when we win championships, even when it's the best feeling we get, what do we think about later? We think about the relationships. Hello, and welcome back to the Mental Sweet Spot podcast, where we share tips, stories, and strategies for coaching the mental game of softball. I'm Melanie Rushing, and I'll be joined shortly by Alicia Smith as we bring you another episode. Today's guest has been a certified consultant since 2006 with the Association for Applied Sports Psychology. He was an assistant professor of sports psych for six years, publishing over a dozen articles on the yips in golf and the effectiveness of sports psychology interventions. His articles have been published in the Journal of Applied Sports Psychology, the Journal of Athletic Insight, the Journal of Sport Behavior, and the Sport Journal. Additionally, he has been featured on ESPN, Fox News, the Golf Channel, the New York Times, Runner's World, and Stack Magazine. To date, he's delivered mental toughness training to hundreds of athletes, coaches, and teams. Most extensively, he's been the mental coach with Indy 11 Pro Soccer Program and the University of Notre Dame. Outside of athletics, businesses, universities, and corporate professionals have also benefited from his knowledge and keynotes. Today, we discuss what hinge moments are and how they shape our careers and lives, why we can't put any more importance on one player moment than another, learning how to let go of mistakes after the worst failures, living in the moment and having gratitude so we can all enjoy the game more, getting out of our own heads by focusing on others, and connecting with our athletes as people. You're going to feel realigned and driven again after this episode with mental toughness coach, author, and speaker, Dr. Rob Bell. Welcome, Dr. Bell. Oh, wow. Thanks, Coach, for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much, Dr. Bell, for joining us. We're really excited to talk to you today, and we got, you've got a lot of experience, but we know you are so very passionate about, about this, just like we are. So we can't, we can't wait to talk to you today. Awesome. So we'll jump right in, Dr. Bell. Um, our first question for you is what inspired you to pursue your degrees? Well, you know, I, I think kind of like everybody and like yourself, I mean, you know, there, there are these moments that happen like in our lives and, uh, you know, mine was, it, it was a tragedy, uh, that actually turned into a triumph, but it was one of those hinge moments where, you know, I get to college, play baseball, and I had got off on the wrong track. I mean, I was going down the route of partying a lot. And unfortunately, I thought I could kind of do it both in college. Well, the uh, I, I fell off a cliff. I fell off an 80-foot cliff. Um, you know, I wasn't pushed. I, I didn't jump. But like I tell the athletes that I kind of work with or that I'll speak to, like nothing good happens after midnight. And, you know, for some reason, we're just near this bridge and I end up walking off this cliff and, you know, I should have died. But ultimately, um, you know, I just had a lot of severe injuries and that ended my baseball career. And it was at that time that then I took actually my first psychology class. And I knew when I took that class, again, it was a passionate professor, one of those you know, coaches that make all the difference in our lives. And I just knew what I wanted to do. And, and really the reason why too, is because I started following, um, Dan O'Brien, who was a decathlete in the early nineties. And Reebok had these commercials like Dan and Dave, like who was going to win the gold medal. And we had this little formality in the United States, right. Called Olympic trials where, you know, Dan was on world record pace and he comes up against the pole vault and he no height. So he goes from first to last. And I was shocked at that time in my life. I cut that article out of the Washington Post. I saved that one. Uh, my mom ended up framing it. And I started following his career. And he started seeing somebody that helped them with the mental game. Well, I knew what I wanted to do then from that moment on. It was just kind of tattooed in my heart and my soul. This is what I want to do. And it was interesting because I ran into him probably like six years ago. It, uh, 
he he got a big kick out of that. I saved that article and had it framed. I actually remember that story. I, I don't think I'd made the connection back then um, to the mental part, but I remember it was it was broadcast as an epic collapse, right? And that's usually what the sports world will say. And it was until that point in my life. I just thought like the best win and that was it. I mean, and mm -hmm. when he talked about, you know, not being able to handle the setbacks and his routine wasn't strong enough, um, you mean – I, I believe, and I really believe this, that it's not about the setback, though. It's about the comeback. And the thing I've experienced a lot is just seeing, like, if you're going to make it to the absolute best, you're going to have those experiences. It just really matters. Then what, what do you do about it next? I love that. And I love that you talked about hinge moments. Can you dig a little deeper into that? For those of you who don't know, that is another awesome book of Dr. Bell's. Um, can you talk about specifically what hinge moments are and how you can make them impactful and drive your life forward, not just your performance. Yeah, absolutely. So the hinge, I, I say every door in life has a hinge. So a door without a hinge is a wall. It just doesn't work. So what the hinge is in our lives, it's going to be that one moment. It's going to be that one person or that even that one decision that makes all the difference. So what it does is connects who we are with who we become. So coach, like, seventh inning, having a 2-1 lead, losing that lead to, to lose the game, right? I mean, that's a hinge moment because from that moment on, everything's different. Mm -hmm. And sometimes, you know, the tragedies, the really bad things that happen in life, and not that a loss is ever a tragedy, but at the moment it is, right? Mm -hmm. You know, tragedies are immediate hinges because from that moment on, everything's different. And there's we, we don't even know often – the hinge moments happen to sometimes till weeks, months, you know, years later, the impact. And if we look at any, really any important competition, it's going to come back to that one play. And as I always say, look, it's, it's always one play and it's never one play. Right. Um, but there are those, those hinge moments that happen. And I mean, there are just so many, I just look for them all the time in people's lives. And, and when it comes to mental toughness, you know, it's, it's kind of a, a bedrock of how I teach it because no matter how bad things are in our life, it only takes one. It only takes one coach to make all the difference in somebody's life, right? It takes one hit, you know, it takes one catch to turn the whole game around. It takes one game to turn a season around. It takes one season to, to turn a whole career around. And that's what we're getting ready for. We just don't know when that moment's coming. And that's the real importance of it. So you read my bio. <laughs> oh, of course. So, you know, I know exactly what you were obviously talking about, but you are, you couldn't have, what you just said couldn't have, I guess, summed up my coaching career uh, any better because I didn't know in that moment what that was going to do to my career and how it was going to shape it and form it. Because all in, in that moment, the only thing I could think about was how terrible that loss was and what did I do wrong and all of those things that we as coaches tend to go to. But looking back on that was my hinge moment. Like you said, that was for sure my hinge moment because the year after we were able to win a state championship, our first one actually in the school, the school's history for any sport. So it was a special moment for the school and the community. But that moment that led to me taking that class that you read about was my hinge moment. And I often look back on that because the mental toughness that I hope that I'm trying to teach my kids is something that I really had to learn to develop as a coach too. And think about what a 
better coach you are today by just having those discussions and reading those books. I mean, you're such a better coach now today than what you were before, right? Absolutely. And being able to relate right back to them. I can relate back to them with my personal experiences, even though it's not as a player, right? But as a coach, it's it's very easily relatable to them. I just really always look at the importance of that and everybody has had it, you know, whether or not we're in touch with it or not. And I always say it's not about the setback. It's always about the comeback. It's true. And, you know, kind of back to some of the, the Olympians that you were talking about, um, the specific one I can remember, I believe his name was Dan Jansen. He was a speed skater, right? And he was, he was one of those comeback stories that they, that he had that comeback, right? Where he was, he fell on the ice. Is, is that the right name that I'm? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Dan and Jansen. Yeah. Yep. yeah. Yeah. He fell on the ice, but I remember the next, the next uh, four years when he had his next Olympics, you, everyone was just rooting for him, but that's all they, that's all they talked about was a comeback story and how amazing that was. But I, I can't even imagine how difficult that would be right on the world stage to try to fight back through that and to come back. He was, he was just, it was just an awesome story. And, and that was two Olympic games. So it was like 88 and 92. He didn't medal and he's the favorite and the world record holder. Oh, you're and right. It, you're right. Yep. And it was that, that hinge moment that when I spoke to him, I said, do you really think you would have been number one 96? Because that was the year when the Olympics then switched. Then it was every two years. So he only had to wait two years. And, um, and then it was in 94 and Lily Hammer, that very last race that he ever was going to do that he wins the gold medal. And it was interesting because he said, I had the worst warm up I've ever had in my career before that. There was no way I was going to do well. Mm-hmm. And it was, you know, it's just those moments. I really like how that story ties into what you said about it's always one play and it's never one play. I think sometimes when people put too much pressure on that one moment, they forget all of the others. Can you kind of relate the two of like, how do you know when it's the one or do you just say it's never one play? Let me just take it as it comes. Well, and that's where, I mean, we can't put any more importance on one play than another. You know, and that's why I really look at our preparation, even our practices. If, you know, we're going to practice more than we're ever going to play. I mean, practice is so important because we don't rise to the occasion. We fall back to our level of our preparation. And we can't be putting many more pressure on one, one situation or one play or one game than another. And so really the hinge is just looking back in retrospect, seeing to be able to see the impact of it. So it's, it's more of that evaluation than anything. Um, when it comes to the belief and the hope and the confidence that we have to have, it's just knowing that we have that moment that's going to be coming up. And when it doesn't happen, you know, it, it is, it's confirmation bias. You know, when we lose a game, that's not the hinge. That's not our moment. We still have another moment that's coming up. And that's the part that's so important is because about never giving up. And if we can approach every moment with the same type of enthusiasm and focus, then what we're doing is we're working on our mental game on every kind of situation because we don't know who that most important person that we're going to meet in our life is, right? Like somebody we meet at a conference that then hires us years later. We had no idea at that moment. But if we went into that moment saying, or that practice saying, this practice really isn't that important. Like we've done this so many times. Physically, you know what? You're right. But mentally then, then, then it starts to make a difference and starts to chip away 
at the bedrock and everything that's that's made us successful. So that's him. That's the real key, as I look at, it, is not putting any more importance on one play or one game than any other. That's that practice part. That that when I had my hinge moment, that's definitely where I changed my coaching in practice. Because just like you said, it was it's all about the preparation. And and I was always kind of brought up or taught from my athletics that and that you hear on in sports that you rise to the occasion. But I don't think I really realized that until I had that moment that they just weren't prepared. And how do you prepare your players is in practice. That's that's the mental sweep spot, isn't it? Yeah, it is the mental sweep spot. See what I did Absolutely. there? You did that. It was awesome. Ah, good one. <laughs> nice. So, Dr. Bell, when you when you work with the, you've worked with a lot of different athletes at all different levels. What what do you see your athletes struggle with the most? So, I mean, I think everyone has kind of a different demon. You know, I think when they hit a new level, there's there's always kind of a new devil. You know, and everybody's is a little bit different. But I really, you know, and, that, and that's what's tough. I think if there was one common theme more than any other, it would be the ability to move on and to let go of mistakes. And because, you know, even at those crucial times, and kind of what I said before, I don't think we, I don't think any of my pro athletes ever get to that level without having, you know, and I'm going to use the C word here, without having choked under stress and under a pressure situation. And then what the key then is then being able to reflect, you know, without that judgment, being able to reflect where did my mind go and what did I learn from that? And then sometimes that's the most difficult part, right? Because it's so painful to go through it. I mean, we've been in losing locker rooms. I mean, there is no worse place in, in, I mean, it's, it really is. It's like a morgue because in one way or another, like part of you has died. That season is over. It's the worst feeling. And so it's only our ability to be able to let go of mistakes and to be able to, you know, have that become our whole philosophy that it's always about the next play. And so that's what I see is, you know, especially now more than ever, um, you know, we got perfectionist athletes, right? I mean, athletes that are, that are great. I mean, they just, are fantastic, but they haven't had to overcome that serious adversity where the more adversity that we go through, like the brain is a muscle, the more that we go through, the better we get at it. But, you know, I'm, raise your hand if you want to have a difficult week this week, right? Like I want this week to go nice and cool. I just want, you know, stress myself out as much as I need to, but it's only when we go through that adversity. So that's what I look at. It's, it's always being able to reflect and move on and be able to refocus. That is so good. And I think the key there is doing it without judgment. It's so hard because <laughs> whether you're a perfectionist or just want to do well, you're going to beat yourself up. Um, what are some ways that you help those athletes kind of take away that judgment? Because like you said, every time you hit a new level, there's something new. <laughs> I love that phrase, hit a new level is always a new devil. So how can we keep that judgment at least at bay in order to work through the adversity? So I think the mental game really works. And I really think it only works when it's first and foremost in our mind. See, I don't think the mental game really works if it's, if we put conditions to it, if it's ancillary, like, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to be a great leader. I'm going to be a great teammate. Hey, as long as I'm, 
you know, my batting average is where I want it as long as I'm having a good game. It doesn't work because the mental game only works if we have that goal heading into every practice, heading into every kind of competition. So unless we have it as I'm not going to let anything bother me, if that's not first and foremost and we don't get reminded of that, it doesn't happen. It's only going to happen if we're having a good game, and then, well, where's the really mental game coming to play there? So, and we can do that, and that's the part that's in our control. And so it's really, you know, it's knowing what our triggers are going to be and making sure that we've got that game plan heading into those kind of situations because when those moments hit, you know, it's too late to prepare. We've got to be ready. And that's, that's the part. It's just about having that become that theme, that philosophy that we live by. And then, and only then, I think, then the mental game like really takes hold and, and we're applying it on a daily basis. That's great. I, I love that because I can, I can, I keep going back to that coach I was before I learned all of this and before my hinge moment. And it just, it seems to fit me as a coach just as much as I'm sure it does for athletes. So with that said, Dr. Bell, what what do you feel has helped your athletes' performance the most? I think we I think we know the skills. Um, you know, I think the you know, breathing always helps athletes, right? Getting in the moment, being centered. Um what what I always think helps them out is when they can have fun and just be able to play. That's all we're trying to do. Just play. Mm-hmm. That's it. Like this is a game. It asks us, it's begging us to be in the moment because in every other part of life, we're not in the moment, right? If we're on the treadmill, watching the TV or listening to music, if we're at work, send the email, we're thinking about what's coming up. And so sport and the essence of it, and that's why we love it so much. It's just asking us to be in the moment and to enjoy it. And I think when when we can kind of disengage from the whole judgment piece, from how we're doing, from our stats, from where we are, and and we can just enjoy that, that's what I really think just helps athletes out the most. That's funny because that that phrase just play was actually one of our phrases one year we had. We had wristbands, they were on t-shirts. And they had the team had expressed how they were feeling a lot of pressure and stress um, to the coaching staff, which I thought was great for them to verbalize that, but we came up with that and, and it became our mantra to, to help them just breathe and to finally, so they could actually get to that place where they could just play. And it was really fun again. And you could tell they weren't having fun prior to that. So I, I love that phrase. It's, it's very simple, but very difficult in concept. And it just couldn't be that easy though, right? Like we can't just, just play, you know, of course, of course, <laughs> of course not. Speaking of, have you ever had any um, athletes whose hinge moment was realizing it could be fun again? Yes, indeed. Um, and I think that's a, that's kind of a tough process to go through, especially when, you know, they're professional and they're, um, you know, they're, they're where with all their livelihood, their identity is wrapped up into that. Um, you know, and that's the thing though. What are we doing? We're, we're focused on something that's coming ahead and that's the part that we can always we can always sell them on it, right? They can always look what's stressing us out. We're thinking about next inning. We're thinking about next game. We're thinking about something that's ahead. We're not in the moment, or we're focused on that last mistake that we made. 
And when they can realize that, and then it's just a constant, uh, I guess, barrage of reminding them of we're focused on next week. That's what's stressing me out right now. It's not the moment. It's not here. And so if they've got, you know, a bad practice the Wednesday before the game or the day before the tournament, you know what? It's okay because it's not the tournament. And then it, it gives them that room, you know, and then I think it gives them that freedom to make mistakes. And, you know, when we, when we have that, um, I just think when we kind of have that freedom to be able to make mistakes and that, you know, it's not part of our identity, it's just something that we do and mistakes are part of it and then it's okay and it's about focusing on the next play. When we can get that, that's where I think that it just frees ourselves up. And, and I always kind of get back to this and I'll ask a lot of athletes this, when you were younger, tell me about what it was like. Tell me about what it was playing. And they love getting in touch with that little kid, right? That kid that was just playing. And well, what what got in the way of that? And it was always pressure and expectations and letting people down. It has to do with other people. And they just lose that why. When they can get in touch with that, that's where I see those breakthrough breakthrough moments like happen. And that that's the cool part, I think, about what we do. Ah, oh, yeah, that was definitely one of my favorite activities is the the play for her quote from who was it from Mia Hamm or Brandy Chastain? Mm-hmm. Oh, so good. And I think we have a lot of coaches who listen to our podcast and I guarantee they're all nodding their heads like, yep, uh-huh, we want them to have fun, connect to their why. But I think what a lot of us miss unintentionally is they're not going to find their why and have fun unless we do. And it, it may not look the same as it was when we were players, but just showing up passionately and letting them see that you love being there is huge because once we coaches lose focus or thinking about too many things, trying to plan too many games or plays ahead, they notice it, even if it's subconscious. What are some tips you could give coaches for helping model that stay in the moment, enjoy it, and just almost coach for the little kid in you too. Yeah. I mean, and again, I mean, the coaches that listen to, I mean, the coaches are my favorite people because they make such a difference in people's lives, right? Like when stuff goes bad in people's lives, they didn't have that coach. And I think about, well, what is, what is a coach? I mean, a coach is somebody that takes you someplace that you want to go, you know, a stage coach. And we need coaches in our lives. And I know that, I mean, there are people listening to, I mean, the coach is the most important person in somebody's life. I mean, somebody looks up to that coach and makes such a difference. I can be talking to a group of accountants and ask them their favorite coach. They all can say that. And why do I bring that up? Because, I mean, coaches don't get the credit. I mean, coaches get criticized more than get complimented. Um, you know, nobody is is going to watch somebody, you know, do papers and be able to critique them on that. But we, we feel like we can critique coaches on their plays. And I think with coaches, we've got to have that perspective and that gratitude. I think that's the only recipe that we've got. Like what we're doing is we're making a difference in people's lives. And, you know, it's just really interesting when those tragedies happen, then we get a new appreciation of what is really important. So many coaches always talk about that, right? We're keeping the main thing, the main thing. And it's just so easy, I think, to get drowned out in terms of wins and losses and status and identity and what it means and what it doesn't mean that 
we just lose perspective and it's easy to do. And then when we lose perspective, we lose the gratitude. When we can get it back to its essence about what we do, um, you know, that's the part about having fun and being vulnerable. You know, NFL coaches talk about that all the time, even the great disciplinarians where when they started to, they kept the discipline, but when they started to enjoy it, they coach better and they became better coaches. And that, that's what I always say is, I mean, let's get back to our why. Why are we doing what we do? And then can we really have that perspective and that gratitude in our life? Because that's what makes all the difference. Oh, that is so huge. And honestly, even I am very aware of these concepts and I still have to remind myself every day. There's always something that makes me grumpy or something that sets me off. But just having that gratitude, even for the littlest things, helps so much. And, and that's the thing. It's like with gratitude, I can't coach myself. Like I can listen to your podcast and, and be reminded about it. And yes, that's right. You know what Coach Mel says? It's so true. I can't coach myself. And I know this stuff. I have to allow others in my life to be able to coach me. And that's why I think we were designed is I don't think we were meant to coach ourselves. I think we were, we were meant to allow others in our life that that can point out the blind spots, that can point out the uh, the parts where, you know, we need to get better at. And, uh, and that's the part where I think is, is so huge is who do we allow in there to coach us? Oh, this is so good. Cause I've been itching to ask you more about this. Can you tell us more about all of this specific to your book? No one gets there alone. Sure. Um, you know, I mean, it's, um, I, w I was doing a half Ironman and, and my ego was doing the half Ironman. I'll basically say so like an email came across my screen. There's a half Ironman that was coming to town. It was coming to town in two weeks. So I hadn't trained for this. I didn't bike and I just signed up. So I enter this race. My ego enters this race, just knowing that all I got to do is just keep moving and I'm going to finish this. So it's a, a 1.2 mile swim, 56 mile bike, 13.1 mile run. I don't recommend doing it without any training, but I like, <laughs> no, you know, I, I would die. <laughs> I like to challenge myself in those kind of circumstances. And, you know, I was in the race and I got a flat tire and I had nothing to change it. Wouldn't know how to change it. And another racer stopped his race and changed my tire for me. And it was a hinge moment because from that moment on, everything was different. And I asked myself that question when I would tell people what happened, would you stop? And the answer was no. I wouldn't have stopped. I wouldn't even have thought about it. You know, I would have felt bad maybe for the guy, but this is a race. You do the absolute best that you can do. And from that moment on, the moment and the idea has been, yes, I would stop. And the reason why now is because it's by design. It's not by default. It's our default mode is protect yourself at all times, right? I'm okay. As long as I'm okay, then I can be a good coach. I can be a good leader. If I'm not okay, then I, I'm no good to anybody else. And that's that's the lie. So what our design mode has to be is who can we help? Who can we focus on? And it even comes back to like the mental game. is, And that's the key. It's right. A better us is what makes a better you. And a better you is what makes a better us. And even the point of that one, it's like, this isn't just about altruistic behavior and being a benevolent person. That's great. But it's about getting outside of our own head. 
Well, we can't get outside of our own head if all we're focused on is is ourselves. If our own radio station is just turned on to K-Rob, if that's the only one I'm listening to, I'm stuck inside my own head and I'm trying to figure it out for myself. What I need to do is if I can focus on others, if I can focus on telling my teammates to let go of mistakes and, and to just keep a good attitude and don't worry about that, we can do that with others, but I can't do that with myself. But if I can coach others up, that's how I coach myself up at the same time because it's really, really tough. It doesn't work if, if I'm telling people to never give up and then turn around and kind of dog myself. Then, then we really have problems because then we're not even um, we're not even believing what we tell people. And that's the part where we can get in touch with that, that if I can focus on others and helping them get to where they want to go, I'm going to get to where I want to go. And then I'm just working from that abundance mindset. I'm working that everybody can be successful. I can root for other people to have success. Yeah, I still want myself to do well. I still want to be great. But I'm not so wrapped up in my own stuff that I can't connect with others. And that's the way that I see it. That's how we get outside of our own head is we can focus on our teammates, focus on creating a better us. And, you know, in a nutshell, that's what it means how no one gets there alone as we focus on others. And I just tell people, I mean, even when we win championships, even when it's the best feeling we get, what do we think about later? We think about the relationships. We think about the adversity that we overcame to get there. And nobody ever thinks about themselves winning a championship, just holding up a trophy or, you know, hanging out in the tub with all these bubbles with the trophy next to them and their arm around it. We don't think about that. We think about the relationships. What do we miss the most? We miss the bus rides. We miss the locker room. And all the more importance of having those strong relationships in our lives because that's what really lasts and that's what really matters. I think what you just said is truly also just the essence of leadership, right? When, when I'm, when I'm talking to my kids about, about leadership, that's really the essence of, of what you just said. And that's why it's by design. It's not by default. Mm-hmm. I mean, our, mm-hmm. our default mode is, I mean, we have a real myopic viewpoint with, you know, what are my stats? How am I doing? Mm-hmm. Uh, where do, am I going to get? And, and then it's operating from a scarcity mentality that, you know what, I better get to that table and I better get my piece of pie first. Cause there's not a piece of pie for everybody. Right. And, um, and then, you know, that's the message that gets perpetuated and that's why we don't have strong teams. And if things aren't going well for me, then you know what, it's coach's fault and I'll just switch teams. And then we're not, that's not how we get mentally tough. That's not how we get resilient. And that's not how we get a better society. It, it all cascades. It's all, it's all interconnected. And I, I've had that experience where I've had both, I've experienced both. Right. And, and when the kids actually are in that mind frame and they actually are a part of a team and they actually feel that way and think that way genuinely, that's when, of course the success happens, but but the thing that I always hear after those kind of teams are gone is they miss those things you just said. And that's how I know they were really connected on a completely different level, but really truly there for each other. Amen, coach. <laughs> One last question for you, Dr. Bell. Um, what do you think, if anything, might be missing from the coaching side? Wow. Man, what is missing from the coach's side? The part that's important is 
we've got to be able to value and we've got to be able to connect with the athletes outside of just their performance and what they do. We got to connect with them with who they are as a person. You know, what I see too often is, you know, if I'm only as good as my last at bat, that's what the media wants to say, right? If I'm only as good as last season, that's, that's all media stuff. That's not coming from coaches. But if coaches get into that mindset that they only value the players that can produce for them, if they only value um, what they can give me, we can't, it can't be what our, you know, what we're trying to get from our athletes. It's got to be what we can, what we can do for them. And then we connect with them as people. And it goes deeper than that. I just see that a lot of times, like so many athletes that struggle. It's because of that bad coach-athlete relationship. You know, it's that communication breakdown. And and even, you know, the mental health struggles that we see too often now, it's just coming back from that, that I don't, you know, coach doesn't value me outside of just being able to produce. And so that's the part that I always see that misses. And I think that's really, really difficult for a coach to do because they only got so many hours in the day. You know, they only have, um, you know, so much legwork. And I think that's why it gets back to by design, not by default. It just becomes part of our culture and part of what we do. And that's the beauty about it is once we really start caring, if imagine that, right, if we could really care about others more than we care about ourselves. And that's the beauty about coaching too. I mean, there's this one line that I always get back to. It's like, you know, and even says in the Bible, right? We're supposed to love others as we love ourselves. The difficulty with that is that we don't love ourselves. You know, athletes don't love themselves. They only love themselves when they're when they're performing. And we got to get them out of that performance mindset. You know, if they're always in that performance mindset, where well, the anxiety and the pressure and the stress is all there. When they can chill, have fun, we value outside of a person and who you're going to become. That's where I think coaches do a better job. And I think then, we, you know, we produce better people. And better people are what make better athletes. We've seen it. Better athletes don't make better people. We've seen athletes that are not good people. Well, what, what's that do? Um, that's the worst kind of person. Just because they're talented, but they're not a good person. I, don't, I mean, nobody wants that. But but we fall in that mind trap that their performance is more important than who they are. And that's the part that thinks a lie. Better people is what make better athletes. So that's, that's all that I think, because I got so much respect for coaches and what they do. It's such a hard job. And that's what we call a mic drop. So <laughs> that was awesome. That was a mic drop. Was it? That was a <laughs> mic drop. That's um, so awesome. It's so true though. Mel, Mel's a nice passion around this. It's just, we believe that so strongly too. And if you don't focus on that person, you know, I've, I've had kids breaking down at practice, just bawling because they identify themselves first as a softball player and that's all they known and they lose their identity. And it's, it's absolutely heartbreaking to see things like that happen. That's, that's why our athletes that, that get injured yeah. suffer mm. bad I mean, yeah. the depression because that's all they've known and how they've coped with life is through their sport. We take that away. Now we're struggling. Yeah. And that's the thing. I mean, even, you know, when it comes to like getting rid of this uh, mental health stigma, I mean, when we hear mental health, we think mental illness. Mm -hmm. You know, when I hear physical health, I don't first think of a broken bone. I think of what it is that I need to do, you know, right. to remain healthy. Right. And 
and there's a stigma with mental toughness. We hear mental toughness. I think we think, all right, doing it on your own, picking up your bootstraps and not asking for help when that's the opposite. It's being able to ask for help. It's being able to remain coachable and, you know, uh, being there for others. But we can't thank you enough, not only for your time, but what for you do as well. Well, thanks coaches. I really appreciate you. Yeah. Thank you, Dr. Bell. We appreciate you as well. Yes. And that is it for today. Be sure to follow Dr. Bell on Instagram and Twitter at Dr. Rob Bell. That's D-R-R-O-B-B-E-L-L. And if you want to further implement some of the gems that he shared with us today, take our coaching challenge, show your gratitude. As Dr. Bell said, if we want our players to have fun, we have to have fun. And if we want to have more fun, we have to always practice gratitude. If this sounds a little fluffy to you, stay with us for a second. Think back to your favorite moment as a coach. What was going through your head? You weren't worried about all the things that could go wrong in the next game. Past failures weren't on your mind in that moment either. You were truly in the moment and having fun. In that moment, were you not feeling grateful? Honestly, though, it takes practice to feel grateful often. So we challenge you to begin by showing gratitude to your players and letting them know how you appreciate them. You can tell the whole team, pull individual players aside, or send them home with a handwritten letter. It's up to you. When your players hear that you're truly grateful for them, they'll know you care about them more than just a softball player. The motivation that'll give them to give their all will be awesome. It's not often that they hear an adult tell them how much they're appreciated, and the feeling they'll get is priceless. That's not where it ends, though. You deserve to know how appreciated you are, too. That's why we're very purposeful when including the aspect of community with our programs. We want you to have the platform to share the awesome things you're doing with your girls. We're constantly amazed at the ideas coaches come up with, and those need to be shared with other like-minded coaches. To join us in our community, join us on our Facebook group or learn more about our private community at mentalsweetspot.com forward slash blueprint. That's it for today. Thank you again for joining us. Have a good one.